Following the success of the pilot episode with David Weir, we're delighted to kick on with our next interview of the ICCCCCCCC 353 podcast series. Today we've got none other than the heaviest of the heavies, ICC's Kung Fu champion and all-round roaster. It's Ross Dougal. How's it going, fella? All right, pal. What's happening? I'm good, mate. I'm good. You're looking well. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Wait a million leader. It's a bit free How's life treating you? What have you been up to during lockdown? Hundreds, millions, thousands? I'm I'm good, mate. I'm good. It's been um it's been strange, I think, for everybody. Um it's kind of a long story, but I get made redundant right back at the very beginning. But managed to pick something up really quickly, which was supposed to be a kind of very short term measure, but I'm still still there. Um and, and enjoying it. So so planning a kind of I don't know if career's the right word in it, but certainly want to, to keep it going, been enjoying it, very rewarding and stuff. So a wee job within uh, kind of adult social care. S- similar to what um to what Doogie does, but with, with kind of adults supposed to, to or older adults as opposed to kind of younger, younger adults. So uh, it's going all right, mate. Enjoying it. It's going good. Feel fortunate to have picked something up, you know, that, that when there's a lot of people, you know, struggling and stuff. So uh, it's been um it's been it's been a real blessing, I think, in a way. Good mate, I'm I'm glad. Uh, I almost sounded as if I'd, I wished I'd never asked that the way you started off, but you finished well there. So not, I'm glad. Glad mate, hope that works out for you. Um, but what about? Did you ever consider? No fancy being an apprentice, Alan McClemens at Fartbox Alarms, no? Oh, I can I can make a cracking alarm sound actually, which is which is a belter. Which I remember when we were weekends away and stuff, it was like in a ten minute warning of right, we're moving on to the next booze or whatever, and I would. Let off the siren, and regardless of where you were in this pub, you knew that like finish up Barofsky. You could hear us before you saw us. Maybe it would come in handy, actually. Aye? Maybe, maybe. But anyway, let's crack on. Tell us about your footballing journey and how you ultimately led to signing for the mighty ICC in the summer of 2005. Um, it's probably a put the kettle on and get your feet up and make yourself comfy. It's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tale, um, which is maybe. The kind of whole story is maybe better off told or told, sorry, at, at another time. Um, but the kind of quick uh, kind of synopsis, if you like, of it is started um, aged about maybe five or six, from what from what I remember, um, with a guy who who you know well, um, a guy called John Gardner, who took us on a Saturday morning down the ROF, and it wasn't even really like a uh, like a training as such, really, was it? It was just a big a big kind of game, jumpers or goalposts kind of type thing. And I suppose the, the best thing about it is, is that the guys that you went to that with, who you would then, you know, meet at Park Mains later in life, you know, guys like you, yourself, uh, Bryzel was there, uh, Gaz Shepard, Andy Graham, Stuart McGinty, Johnny Gray, um, you know, loads of guys who who become, you know, mates when we got to, to, to high school and then again still later in life as well so really good start just just a big game on it really um, but but John was brilliant gave up his, his own time obviously um, and I've, I've not I, I don't even know how I ended up going there I don't know if my dad knew him or something like that I don't know but you, it was brilliant you lost or something you just took in like, like, maybe, maybe I just drove by one day and thought they, they look as if they'll you know, they'll be looking for a few bodies. So and that's kind of how it came about. And that was probably you used to you know what it's like, you know, you'd you'd watch that then be, you know, home in time for the old football Italian and all that stuff. It was class, it was really good. Um and then m- moving on from that, 
Um, moved to uh, in Shannon um, with my mum and dad. I think I, I was maybe about eight at the time, maybe. Um, in time for just kind of starting primary five. So I went to Barcel primary, kind of one, two, three, and four. Then we moved to Sharon. The house we lived in was like two doors, basically away from the path to the school. So it made sense to kind of move schools. Um, and again, you know, that was the kind of, the, uh, kind of not the start, because I'd, I'd been to nursery in Sharon, so new um, kids that had been there, guys like TVT, Woody. Um, so that, that kind of, kind of joining back up was a kind of natural natural path and and again from from joining the school all the lads in the class were, were saying you know we're all in the um the engineering bb which i know bb has maybe got a different connotation from the boys brigade but again that's maybe a different podcast altogether um but joined joined the bb and subsequently joined the football team as well and and the kind of best thing about that is is that we I suppose much like much like yourself, like all the guys in the who played in the team went to school together, pretty much, apart from one. So you were then, you know, play times, lunch times, you know, afternoon break, whatever. You were just playing football with each other constantly. So you're probably together, you know, at school all day and playing football together for you know a good hour and a half a day as well. So that kind of helped, you know, with with the, the kind of bond of that team. Um, and I remember my, the kind of first game we went to was against one of the Paisley teams at the race course. And it was quite common in that day. You'd turn up, they only had eight players, but we had 14. So we lent three players to them. So everybody, there's no point in them playing with eight and us standing with three at the side. So I went and played for them. The, the three the three diddies, I, had, I just I just walked in the door. No, no Rudy and, and DT were already established, so they were they were putting for their team. Um and I played for their team and then that was again the last time I happened. I think it was in, in the engineering team the following following kind of week. And that set off the kind of path of um, you know, some some real kind of good years um under the, the tutelage of uh, of Dunk and Mr. T, or who at the time actually I was thinking about this today actually, weren't known as Dunk and Mr. T at that time, believe it or not, the, the kind of BB um, kind of discipline, if you like, was they were very much Mr. McLean and Mr. Thompson. There wasn't a there wasn't a kind of big dunk and, and a Mr. T. And I think as, as some of the some of the boys will kind of testify to, and certainly me, um, the, the dunk especially had a kind of presence about him. I think obviously because you're a wee guy and you see him at what is he? He's what six foot five, six foot six. He kind of carried that you know real kind of policeman you know look well. So he, he knew how to kind of um, how to kind of control us, if you like. And I know later in life, as we'll maybe talk about, I was kind of famous for winding him up and knowing that I could get him to that breaking point. But that so I kind of worked on that for quite a few quite a few years, um, probably topped off by the incident in Platform One at Newcastle Central, which again we'll probably come to. But um, I so so that was that team was was built on you know. You know, just relationships of, of mates and of pals, um, and again, there was, there was a coach for that team as well, a guy called Jim Aiken, who some of the boys will know. He's been in the Brayhead a few times with maybe been in after games or for celebrations, whatever. Jim's always been at the end of the bar, and and he was he was absolutely brilliant for me. That's Roy's brother, <laughs> or my bozer, was he was, was sometimes known, um, which was a bit over my head when I was eight, but eventually, you know, got to know what it was all about. And uh, Jim showed a real, um, a real kind of confidence. We had a real kind of unique relationship. Me and Jim, he, he used to refer to me as Gerante. 
and which I was actually thought was based on ability. It was apparently made the same kind of kind of knobbly knees. So that's where that kind of comparison came from. Um, but I Jim was a great guy, and the three of them, um, well, but as a management team, were absolutely superb. And that that BB team was was really successful. Um, you know, we won various kind of leagues and trophies and stuff. Um, I know, mate. I was on the I was on the receiving end that played played for Bishop. That's right. We, we yeah, I remember the Bishop final at Kenny Park one day. Was it like a was it like a five 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 two five three something like that? Seven two. I always say it was seven two. Um, but do you know, I remember um, from that game. I just I can't say I remember it because obviously it was so long ago. But just maybe the pictures kind of bring back some memories. I remember Big Richie like Smith, who again would become a really good friend of mine. That absolutely smashed me like just outside the box because <laughs> he was always a big lad with me. And I thought, oh my, I thought I've got about ten minutes to love you. First touch was a tackle. I mean, uh, absolutely. But I remember from from seeing a photo of that team, which I think I, I can't remember who it was it was it maybe Johnny that, that sent it. Um, you know, it was uh, Neil Odom, Stuart Blakey. Uh, yourself, Andy Graham, you know, loads of guys that you you would then become mates, you know, which is quite which is quite weird. Um, but kind of moving on from from that team, there was a few of us. Um, again, a couple of lads had already been at that time. You could you could play boys club football and be kind of dual registered. So it was like uh, James Robertson, Gordon Robertson, Stevie Richmond were going and playing for Bishopton, like a couple of games, like maybe during the week and stuff. And that was a kind of natural progression for me to go there as well. Um, manager, a guy called Brian McAdam, who's, who's sadly no longer with us. And he was he was great for me as well. Um, he invited me along and played in that team. And again, that was kind of when you started to notice the kind of difference from going from BB football to kind of boys club football. Um, and was there from maybe about, I don't know, from maybe age 10, maybe, up to um, kind of about 14. Um, and again, we'd, we'd a really good side there. Um, you, you know, a couple of guys who would go on and, and do all right in the game, namely, you know, one of my best mates, Peter Levin, was probably the kind of, was the star of that, of that team. Um, again, like just daft stuff like trips to Belgium, which are just, you know, you think now are utterly mental. We drive to Belgium on a bus, you know, and you'd leave from the ROF in Bishopton and by the time the bus got to, got to the, the Red Smiddy roundabout, you know, all the dads up in the back were all absolutely steaming. And it was just an absolute free-for-all. Like, there was no, like, you were eat what you want, drink what you want, and you had the same pair of socks on for five days, and just nobody <laughs> nobody cared at all. It was amazing. But again, great, great memories, great times, you know, going going abroad. And at that age, where you know, just all your mates. It was it was superb. Um, and then kind of following on from that, um, kind of started to to kind of do well. And one thing it worked really well in my favour. Do you remember when the age groups changed? Remember it used to be like a kind of September. To it changed to kind of year groups that went from kind of January. Yeah. So how that that kind of benefited me at kind of age thirteen is that I kind of got two two kind of goals at under thirteens, if you like. So I kind of turned fourteen in an under thirteen season. Um, and it kind of helped me kind of stand out a little bit because you know a few teams kind of started coming to, to watch and stuff. Um, the first one, believe it or not, was Aberdeen, um, but never really came to anything. Chelsea actually watched me one game as well, bizarrely, but again came to nothing. Um, St Johnson were another one, went and played a game for them. Um, but you know there was loads coming to watch. There was lots of interest and stuff. But and again, we'll probably go into it at a later date. But but Kilmarnock was the one that that I chose um, and and signed for them. Kind of May nineteen ninety eight schoolboy forms. 
um, in the kind of same week that it was announced that, that Super Alley was coming on board as well after again Rangers fans will remember that kind of heartbreak of that cup final getting beat 2-1 off Hearts which which McCoy scored in and that was proved to be his last game for Rangers um, so there was there was a kind of real kind of buzz about Kilmarnock at the time they'd won the Scottish Cup the year before um, McCoy and Durant were coming you know, and it seemed a really kind of good place to be. A real kind of emphasis on developing youth players and giving a chance and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it seemed a real logical choice. And you know, it was kind of training every night, basically between going to different clubs and stuff. Um, so that that kind of lasted for you know kind of three seasons. Um, and it kind of came to came to a kind of crunch where it was kind of decided. Oh, we had a really good side. There was only contracts for about maybe six or seven players, of which I wasn't one. Um, so sadly, that kind of came to came to an end. Um, moved on from there, and went part time at Queens Park. Again, great time, great club, lots of lots of memories and stuff. But again, didn't didn't kind of work out. Um, and then moved on to Simon for the season. Um, which which was a bit bizarre how it kind of came about, but managed to get, to get in there. But it became pretty evident that it wasn't really going to go anywhere. And at that stage, I kind of made the decision that you know football wasn't going to be a real kind of um, career for me. You know, um, I thought right, I need to kind of decide what I'm going to be doing and and try and kind of focus on it. Um, so I went and joined uh, Erskine Twenty Ones. Yeah. Um, had a couple of years at that. Um, again, great side. Made a lot of good mates and guys that I knew and guys that got to know better and stuff. Um, I, I think I remember one game actually over at um, over in Johnson. What's the? I forgot the name of it. The McMaster Centre. Yeah. And I remember, I remember you and you and Woody being there. And I think you you maybe played for Thorn at the time as well, if I remember rightly. Yeah, twenty ones. Yeah. Um, and I remember Woody being there as well. Um, watching watching that game, it was one of those ones. It was kind of towards the end of the season, if I remember it. Like midweek one, it was quite it was quite a hostile home sideline, you know. The partisan grounds, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so it, it, it was fully my intention to stay twenty ones because I still have another year at it. Um, but we only had we only had four players um, eligible to stay twenty ones from that squad, um, and there wasn't really any sign of any players coming. So it kind of. Sadly for Erskine, like the twenty ones kind of folded at that stage for the first time in a long time. Erskine had, had always had you know a really kind of strong structure throughout, and we then didn't have a twenty ones. So I was then without a team for you know for the first time in a long time, and kind of wondering you know where you know where do I, where do I go from here? Um, and then one night came back to, to my mum's house and she said to me, she said, Duncan McLean was at the door. Um, and I was like, all right. I says, what was, you know, I no, was just walking the dog and he just, you know, just popped past. And I was like, all right. He says, um, he says, he'll pop in again tomorrow. And I was like, all right, okay, no bother. So sure enough, Dunk comes to the door the next night, him and Bonnie. And he comes in, sits down, cup of tea and that. So, so you know what's happening. Um, and he basically just laid the cards on the table. So look, me and uh, Mr. T, I've got the, the chance to kind of to take over this team. Um, you'll know a lot of the lads from school. He also named DT, named Woody. Um, and another couple of boys from Erskine at the time of which Scott Ramsey was one Colin Stewart was another um, was there Dougie Gould he didn't name just in case it put you off <laughs> well I, I'll maybe keep that to myself but um, and I knew um, he mentioned John Lessels as well and John had been the keeper at the Erskine team so I'm thinking this is a great chance you know to go and play with to you know guys who I went to school with guys who I've been pally with 
Um, and that was that was the kind of start of it. I remember going to, to pre-season um, in the parks just across from from the airport. Um, and and that's kind of how it kind of that's kind of how it kind of kicked off. Just you know, don't you know, chat my door and saying, "Look, do you fancy this?" And I'm kind of like, "Well, I don't I don't mean it to sound as if I didn't have any other options, but I hadn't even really kind of given it any thought." So I thought, do you know what? I, I enjoyed playing for Dunk before and, and kind of knew what it was about. It was a guy that I'd you know obviously known for a long time. Him and Mister T respected them both massively. Um, and he, he kind of just outlined this vision to go and take this team, and I thought, brilliant, let's let's do it. Um, and I, I remember you you probably got a better memory than me in regards to specifics, but the, the first game I remember playing and was was out at Eaglesham. Um, and I th- Catsbridge. You, know, you know, I knew you would know. Mm. <laughs> I, I knew you would know. And I, d- did we get beaten that game, or did we scramble a win, or did we, did we get beat one, two, one, maybe something like that? We lost three. And, we lost three two. And again, this will maybe shock some. I, I finished playing at Erskine, played up front. Bizarrely, right? I, I I can't even remember how that came about, whether it was injuries or whatever. But I actually, did all right. So when when Dunk was speaking to me, he says to me, "This is oh, you know what, you know what position do you play?" And I remember you playing, you know, as as a centre midfielder. And I said, "Oh no, I'm a centre forward these days." Good try. Exactly. And you know that first game, if I remember, I got hooked. After about, I was going to say maybe 60 minutes, 65 minutes, something like that. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And then the next game, I played up front again. Was When did the, when did the Kirky game, the two each, remember we were 2-0 down and Rambo scored two? Was that the very next game or was that the third game? Aye, that was, that was the second game, yeah. Kirky two each of the race I remember playing up front in that game and then I'm saying to me at halftime, right, let's knock this centre-forward stuff in the head. Go and play in the middle of the park. I was like, right, okay, fair enough. And never played up front for ICC again. Um, so they, they, there you go. You <laughs> I've seen you like make a run to midfield and end up up front and no come back. Does uh, that count? Well, it was one of those ones. If you think, if you're, it's almost like if you're wearing a certain number in your back, you think you're entitled to like not do as much. I remember wearing number ten and thinking, like, I'm a centre forward here. Slept with a centre forward, I think. Um, so that and then that kind of move into midfield. I remember that that two each game as being two and 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 that probably gave us a bit of kind of belief. I think you know that, that, that they were the kind of they were the best side in the division. And I think again, if I remember rightly, ICC or Bothwells that were known in those days only made it into the top division through a kind of reconstruction. Maybe some teams had folded, or there wasn't going to be enough numbers, or they maybe expanded the division, and that's how despite finishing maybe fourth or fifth in the division below the season before, ended up being, but, you know, probably Cressavere, because before we joined, you know, was that, there was that cup final at the end of the season as well. Um, that was, was that a 4-2 win, if I remember rightly? I can, I can, yeah. I can picture again, the, the team photo of it. 4-2 yeah. again. I was there. I was, I was uh, recording some of the footage on video camera right. that day. I was cameraman, but no, you're right. That was that, was that season before. Yeah. So that I think that kind of gave the squad a bit of belief, and obviously with Duncan, Mister T taking over, you know, two kind of new guys who, who didn't, who knew some of the players but didn't know them maybe as, as adult players maybe, um, but you know, obviously a couple of guys had been there, had been there for a while, and that's kind of what enticed them in, you know, probably a bit of encouragement from guys like Ian McClelland, obviously being Mister T's nephew, who'd been there for a while, um, I think DT had been there for for some time, you know, Woody had been kind of roped in. 
and then and then that was that was me. I was kind of in after that as well. Um, and I, I don't I don't really remember playing playing that well in the beginning of the first few games. Um, I don't really remember kind of you know contributing or kind of making a difference. And then it was maybe four or five games, and again you might tell me a bit better. We played uh, Muir Memorial out at Hamilton, and we won two one. And managed to score my first our second that day, but my first goal for ICC like a complete shinner, Bobby Trundler like down the leg and, and it crawled I mean crawled into the corner and that was the kind of that was the kind of start of it and then it, I don't really think we kind of looked back that season did we you know it was it was full steam ahead um, and you know which which was a first title which for a team that got there was a bit of kind of Denmark Euro 92 about it a team that was even supposed to be in a division you know new management team you know a lot of new guys loads of guys joined at that time um, to, so then to go and to go and win a league was was uh, was pretty special. And we 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 Brian Bevel, we done there Brian Loudrop, so we were on to a winner. Do you know what? We were halfway there. He was faster than Brian Loudrop. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so yeah, there's you know, I think probably one of the one of the strong points I think of that squad where is that we did have so many guys who were kind of part mains boys, if you like. There's a real kind of core Erskine and Shannon Bishopton element to that team. And that kind of contributed, I think, massively to the to the success without meaning to be disrespectful to the guys who'd already been there. And I, I think that's that's probably where it made a real difference as well. You know, guys like um Davy Weir, Ali Lindsay, uh, Johnny Subs, you know, th- these guys who you 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 would never have known probably if it hadn't been for the team. And then with the kind of churches league background that the team had, it's important not to forget, you know, guys like Nick Fletcher, uh, Stuart Aiken, Ray McKenzie, you know, guys who were, um, again, without meaning to sound disparaging, you know, you, you needed them for that element of what the league was all about. But at the same time, these guys were good players and contributed massively, you know, to performances and to, to results and, and to the team on and off the pitch. Um, and you know we're, we're vital to the to, to the kind of to laying the foundations for that for what that team would become over the years. And I always remember, you know, like kind of Stuart and Nick's and Ray's reaction to like you know we've been involved with this team for years. We've never really kind of we've never really done that much. It's been a bit of a kind of social thing, but all of a sudden there was a real kind of seriousness to it. Um, which again, Duncan, Mister T, probably brought a bit of kind of. I don't know if discipline's a word, but you know, a bit of kind of routine and stuff to it. So it was um it was a good time. And you know, considering I'd, I'd kind of had not a great time in the previous season before and kind of held maybe a bit of resentment towards um football as a whole. That's probably a bit of a bit of a strong word, but you know, having you know been kind of you know let go from from three professional clubs in the space of three seasons basically, to then thinking like this isn't going to this isn't going to work out for me. Let's go and try you know something else. Um, so it was good to be back enjoying it and amongst you know mates and 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 guys that you can that you wanted to not only that you want to play football with them but you wanted to spend time with them as well. Um, and I think that's maybe evident like the weekends away and stuff and and some of the for all the success and stuff we had in terms of trophies and cup finals and all that stuff, the, the off-field stuff is just as memorable, if not more, than than some of the kind of on-pitch um, experiences, you know. So, no, that, that's kind of how it, how it came about. And, and Saturday morning football just became, you know, just became the routine for me. 
and and I've never, you know, never, you know, never kind of regretted it or, or wished that I'd kind of, you know, tried anything else or, you know, did I give up too easy or that kind of type of stuff. I've never really, never really thought of that and enjoyed the, enjoyed the memories, you know. So your association now with ICC going well over 15 years, so your status as a, a Galactico fully cemented. You touched on a couple of highlights and both on and off the pitch. Let's let's look a little bit more about some of your favourite on-field memories in them particular that stand out. There's there's a few. The the one the kind of obvious one that I think everybody will, will kind of come to was uh was the Kirky Cup final, where again they were they were full of themselves, weren't they? They were they were thought it was just a case of turn up. Um and it, do you know what I always remember? About that particular day, there was there was a moment which happened before the game even started that made me think, we've won this, we've got this in the bag, we can we can handle this. And it was um TT came in to change him, was out to the toilet, come in to change him. He says one of their boys is in the toilet spewing his ringer. It was out last night and they and he's shot to pieces. And, and I don't know what it was, but just mentally I just knew at that time I was like, we've got this. And then we get the big they may take our lives, but we'll never take our football speech from Dunk. And and everybody went out like absolutely hyper, but hyper but focused. Um, and then you know the the game kind of took it took care of itself. You know the the, the penalty from Zubs, which was just it was the coolest man in the place, wasn't he? And and then the free kick from Woody, which we kind of grew to expect every time we got a free kick in and around the box. You know how many times did he did he do that? But none more important or maybe more. Pivotal than than that free kick at at that time, um, and then you know the, the day was just the day was just brilliant. And again, as I said before, these were guys that you wanted to play football with, but they're also guys you wanted to spend time with, um, and that really kind of you know really kind of contributed to it. But that that's probably in terms of a in terms of a game turning into a memory afterwards, you know, because we were in we had to be Brayhead Tavern or something like that for like probably for the rest of the day just sitting. You know, wasn't even a big drinker. Don't think it was drinking, but just being amongst these guys and you, you were you were absolutely mad with it, Brew. <laughs> um, but you know, good good times and good fun. And as I say, that's that's kind of what the the memories are about. Even even you know, the kind of three or four cup finals. I don't ever remember playing well for ICC in a cup final. You know, very average. Never never really scored a goal. Never created anything. Never really performed in a, in a final and the one kind of regret that I do have is remember that you you won't forget the Airdrie Cup final um, but again although we, we, we lost that in penalties remember coming back to the pub and very quickly thinking do you know what I can't have been out this I'm not in the mood for it and you know what the big regret is is that I didn't stick around and kind of win with your mates and lose with your mates I, I, wasn't, even, I wasn't in a huff or anything like that but I just thought do you know what I've kinda, I'm going to sneak out the door here I'm not really that into this but I regret it massively regret it should have just stayed and, and been with my mates the same as what we, it would have been if we'd have won it you know um, but even at the Hope Hall one um, remember <laughs> asked Doink about this actually yeah that's when I, that's when I, I learned the petulant midfielders tag I came off we were, we were coasting right it was like I think we won the game 4-0 and it was either 4-0 or 3-0 when I came off and I bloated a water bottle it's like <laughs> Like, why did I do that? And then Doink didn't let me forget it. Um, so no, those those kind of types of memories are, are obviously are, are, are obvious ones to go to. The the other one I maybe I'd maybe touch on was the, the the very first time was the Scottish Cup run. 
which again I th- I'm sure loads of guys will comment on. And it's it's amazing to think like what how that became. Because if you remember rightly, or the way I remember it, is that we, we got a buy in the first round. And then the was I don't know, did we get a buy in the first round, I think, because it was an even number of teams. Yeah. The second round, um was it the second or the third round? The team folded. We're supposed to play them on the Saturday and they folded on like the Thursday night before the game. Second round, so we, Yeah, it must have been the second round because we get into the third round without having kicked the ball. Aye. And then you remember we played Uddingston Anvil, who at that time were the best team we'd played. Aye, third out. And they were really good. And I think, was it was it one each or was it 0-0? Um, uh, no. No. Did Stuart, did no, Stuart no, was it one each and Stuart Aikens go? Was it? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was definitely a draw because it was a replay. It was a draw because we then went back the following Saturday, didn't we? And if you remember rightly, back to Hamilton Pass, and the pitch was an absolute like bog. It was pouring, and again we're kind of like, this is as you know, this is going to be really tough. Blah blah blah. And and we done them three, didn't we? We were oh, right. unbelievable performance. Um, three 0 was like, but then we then think the reassure, uh, uh, euphoria I put my teeth in of winning that game. And we then you think well, that's the team that's the standard in the third round. What's the team like going to be in the fourth round? And I can't remember their name, but they were minging. Remember that, that compared that, to um, KG Fives Dalmuir. I, I, and they were terrible compared to what Uddingston and Amble were. And then the team we played in the next round, one they as bad as as Dalmuir, as you said there, but one they as good as Lynx. So you're like, how is this? Without any kind of real experience of the Scottish Amateur Cup, like how does this work? Like how how come the team we played in the third round were? Was that the team from Port Glasgow that um, that we played? You know, at Bishop in that day. Oh, it was, was Dalmuir when you scored that that wonder goal. Well, do right you know? Ian, Ian, Ian's goal is always remembered that day as the winner and the one where he danced past everybody. But I, I scored the equaliser that day with a with a lovely cool cam finish and nobody remembers it because of Big McClellan's. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it because of the, the goal that he went on to score, which was which was brilliant. Um he's also one of my favourite off field memories, which we'll come back to when we talk about Newcastle. Um but I just that that whole run and then if I remember rightly, it was the next the, the when we eventually went out in the last 32 against Leaving. I know we could beat 2-0 that day but we didn't turn up did we we, we just didn't we weren't really great they, they were the good side to be fair right And um, but I don't think we kind of done ourselves justice no, but we, were in, we were in the game without really going and um, really, really, really threatening and then they scored like, two goals like, late on in the second half like, I think they scored maybe in the like, sort of 70 minute mark which obviously then that you're then chasing the game and then they scored again before the game. The game finished, but it was. I they, they, they were they were decent. In fact, did they not go? I think they went on to the final or, or for a couple they, of years they, after that. I think they, they I think they eventually got put out by. I think it was Falkirk that put them out. Who eventually won it that year, if I remember rightly. But apparently, Falkirk were throwing guys a few quid to come and play amateur. Who should have been playing at a higher level? Now, who, who knows how true that is, right? But that was my recollection of it. Um. So in terms of in terms of on field stuff. That that Scottish Cup run was was pretty memorable. Considering it was a first bash at it, and again the teams looking at you and kind of going, "Oh, Saturday morning, you know, Churches League," they automatically underestimate you without actually knowing anything about you. And I suppose that's the beauty of it that you you're going to turn up and not you know not know anybody. 
Um, and the season just passed before it was curtailed. Um, we went through as well. We had a, a blinding Scottish Cup run as well. Um, we we played at KG5 the first round. We then got a, a, the closest away game I've ever had. We played Erskine at Park Mains. Got through that. But then the next three rounds were brilliant. We went Dundee, Edinburgh, Oban. Uh, in a way, away ties consecutively before getting beat by Open Saints. Um, but yeah, so that's probably alongside that Scottish Cup memory of where ICC has been, you know, what it's kind of all about away days and all that kind of stuff. So that's, yeah, that's probably the, the kind of favourite on field um, kind of memories and stuff as well. Oh, nice one. Some great, great memories there. And uh, as you say, you touched on Newcastle, the place that where legends were born, if they weren't born on the pitch. The first joint that we had was in the spring of that two, uh, 2006, and that first year, the 2005-06 season, that we went on to win the, the league in the, in the Churches League. We, we had Newcastle in the spring. Um, what, a, what a weekend. What, what was your memories of that, or, or just any of the weekends away in general? I'm sure there's loads. Maybe maybe Rangers and Celtic should forget Dubai and go to Newcastle. That seems to be like a bit of a graveyard for teams chasing championships and just jump the train to Newcastle with a, with a bottle of Morgans and uh, and just hope for the best. Um, that was, that was a big, big dunk in the range of the game. Do, do you know, there was half of me thinking like we're going to go and play a game here, right? And we're going, to, we're going to turn up and if he's going to be steaming, it's going to be embarrassing. And it was a wee bit because they were terrible and went 1-0 down, if you remember rightly. Aye. But also the kind of, um, the kind of lead up to that as in our first night out, which has obviously been well documented in, in, in terms of uh, Pato and Rambo getting the, getting the Paul McHale, you know, it was, uh, and I can still, again, probably by being relatively sober or sober and, that um, down Chesterley Street in Durham, and um, how it, how the, the kind of ruckus came about again. I don't know how many guys know this, right? But um, Pato had went for a shot on the the Bucking Bronco, and so he's basically like emptied his emptied his pockets. Like he's he's given his glasses to somebody, he's given his drink to somebody else. He's given his phone to somebody's wallet. He's just basically dished it away stuff so he can go for a shot in this bucking Bronco. So he's then having a go and whatever. Brilliant, that's fantastic. And he comes back up and he's like, he's then collecting all his stuff. So like, I think I maybe had his drink and his glasses, whatever I had them. So he's giving all his stuff back. And he's like, going around the lads, kind of saying, oh, have you got my wallet? And it's kind of like, no, nah, no, nah, I've not got your wallet. I've no idea what. So it was maybe about what, maybe 15, 16 of us, whatever. So by the time he's got to like number 13, 14, 15, he's getting a bit more, have you seen my wallet's becoming a bit more anxious? And he then says to, to McLemon, like, have you got, you know, have you got my wallet? Have you seen my wallet? Like, almost borderline, you've stolen my wallet. And and Rambo took offence to the way that Pat would ask Ali if he'd seen it. So that then, this argument then kind of spills out into the street. And and Rambo was also raging because again, if you remember, like it was like a like a stealth operation of basically like like without even exchanging words, lifting them over the side into the Buck and Bronco pit. And it was just it just it was like his wee arms and legs, he's like, you know, trying to kind of 
get, he's trying to climb back out the way he's come in, but he's never going to make it. It was so funny. And uh, anyway, so he's raging with that. This has come back up. This whole kind of discussion, argument, things developed with Pat out in the street. And then just, you know what the thing's like, the over, you know, boils over. Pat throws, you know, a very weak kind of punch. And I kind of threw my arm up in front of Rambo. Maybe they'd done him a favour if they took him in the face right enough. But um, and then, but what we didn't realise is that just up the hill, the big meat wagon was sitting there. The next thing, it pulls up, and the police are out, and there's Pato and Rambo huckled in the back of this police van. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is our first trip away. You know, Dunk obviously being in the police and stuff. Thinking this is an utter disaster, right? Absolute disaster. So we make it back to the hotel, and if I remember, the Dunk was still sitting there with Mr T. Um, I think maybe Nick and Stuart were waiting there, and everybody's kind of looking, kind of going, right, who's going to, you know, who's going to say? And I can't remember how it kind of developed after that, but my next memory was I was sharing the room with Pato, and and he walks in at six in the morning, like bright as a button, and I'm like, mate, what what is going on? What happened? And he was like, he was like laughing and like totally like, ah, oh, you know, one of these things. And you know, actually, oh, they looked after me. I got a cup of tea in a bed and all that. And I'm like, no way. And then the opposite when I seen Rambo down in the, the we were meeting to go and get the bus to the game, and Rambo's like totally devastated, wasn't he? He's like, you know, I think we're going to have a whip, a whip round for him at one stage. You know, he was absolutely, he was devastated. And then that I think is a photo of it. It's a real iconic photo of Dunk. You know, with it's been to the two of them in the centre circle of the game, or, or, on the pitch, sorry, while we are warming up for the game, and there's just <laughs> this massive hungover bodies, you know, just giggling at Rambo and Pato. And then again, if you remember right, there's another really good photo of over at the changing rooms that we took of Pato and Rambo. It looks the, the cagey. It's like the railings. And the railings. <laughs> so uh, that was just... They got locked up. Mental. That was just mental. So um, I, another, you know, one that was probably a serious moment at the time, but, you know, became a real iconic, funny moment. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the day was just well, then in pubs and stuff, watching the footy scores coming in. And, you know, from the game on at tea time, whatever, they ended up in that blue bamboo place, which became a bit of a kind of hot spot for us. And was just utter carnage, like complete carnage. Um, but you know what just great fun and then again into the Sunday as well you know it's a late train up the road and we're, you know boys are having you know pints of black hunt and cider for breakfast and um, watching the footage on the day and again just more laughs and carry-ons and it's just the weekends were always like away weren't they it was just from the moment you met at Central to get the train to you said cheerio on the Sunday night it was like just laugh a minute wasn't it just absolute laugh a minute that was awesome yeah, there's there's been loads. Newcastle was probably a real kind of you know some some great stories in, in Newcastle. Um, one one of my favourites was the weekend to to Belfast actually, when we are in the departure lounge, um, went to head home again late in a Sunday night, probably the last flight. In fact, it was the last flight because I remember some boys were struggling to get the train up the road when we got to Presswick. I think the last train had already left, so was sitting there and. You know, again, it's, guys have been not only drinking all day, but have been on it all weekend, and they're just a complete mess. And uh, was it was it Belfast or was it Dublin? Was it I Dublin, Dublin. Maybe? It was Dublin, so it wasn't Belfast at all. It was Dublin. So sure enough, in a departure lounge, 
is sitting Damien Duff, sitting with a coffee, minding his own business, trying to kind of remain a wee bit kind of, you know, <laughs> a wee bit kind of under the radar. Incognito is the word I'm looking for. And again, with me being sober, I was a nominated spokesperson to say, look, go and, you know, go and ask Damien for a, go and ask Damien for a photo. So I goes over and I says, look, you know, sorry to trouble you. He says, but football team weekend away, boys, if you know, noticed you're here, would you mind, you know, if he'd got a photo? And at this stage, he doesn't know, he said yes, but doesn't know what he signed up for, right? So I've said, right, lads, you know, we're in. Get everything. So we're, we're basically, we're pulling boys out of the bar. Away for puggies, there's boys in the toilet. We're all over the departure lounge trying to get, you know, everybody together for uh, to get this picture taken with, with Damien Duff. So... He's then, I'm standing next to him, trying to, you know, small talk, just trying to kind of pass the time. And he was, you could tell that he was really unhappy about having to do it. But, you know, one of those ones, if he doesn't do it, he gets more shit for it if he does. So then the... <laughs> Simon, Simon Fallon's the last one to appear, right? And he comes up to the front, I'm standing next to Damon Duff and Simon and his infinite wisdom hands Damon Duff the camera. And says to him, ah, oh, Damien, if you could fit us all in, that'd be great. And he just looked at me with this complete desk there, and I thought, I can't believe that we've upset. This guy's just trying to get, maybe Newcastle was at the time. Blackburn, maybe, I don't know where he was, but um, I, that's been uh, us upsetting Damien Duff, you know, trying to get his, trying to get a photo taken with him. But good times. Brilliant, man. That was a brilliant trip, as you say, um, on the way back. The, the steward, the stewardesses were refused to serve us all drink. The the flight, I thought it was the whole flight, or certainly us, because we were all uh, all sitting together and they were just like, nah, he's have he's have had enough. And then as you say, we're getting off the train, uh, getting off the plane when we get back. Folk missing the train. Um, I ended up getting a a lift off a of John Lessels, his missus, along with a few others, and then went to oh, Fury Murray's later on that <clears> night, and uh, just checking in the. The suitcase instead of a jacket Mortgage. into the into the courtroom. Um, I've got a, a similar story actually from that about coming up the road. I, I, if you remember right, there had to be bright yellow smart roads for that time to be two seats. So Hector was in a, just an absolute mess. When he, he was just he was in a shocking state. So I bundled him in, and I mean bundled him into the car and took him up the road and literally opened Doink's front door and just launched him in. And just almost just kind of left them there and <laughs> shut the door. Because <laughs> that's where they've been like, I don't know, maybe half 12, one o'clock in the morning. Right. I'm starting a new job the next day. Probably was the best prep. But aye, that was that was probably where the the kind of uh, the, the myth of, of the legend of Hector was born on that trip, I think. Aye, and Hector obviously introduced us to Barry Connell. Uh, Blue Brains. Barry Blitterbrains played one, one, one. <laughs> he was not allowed to come back. So I, Baz again, him and him and Hector will just for the for the tea time on the Friday. We'll just we'll just an absolute wreck. And I think if I remember right, did he not go for a wee lie down Saturday kind of mid afternoon just to get a wee. And the place we were staying was it not like a kind of it was like a kind of um, Wetherspoons kind of beef eater type place was across the car park if I remember yeah. rightly. Yeah. And so we were all in there and his family's in enjoying like a quiet meal on a Saturday night kind of type thing and, and Barry like just appears for nowhere, boots the door wide open. <laughs> 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 the door. 
launches himself into the middle of the pub and then just <laughs> makes this McLemon style noise, announces himself in the pub, and immediately the bar staff turn and go, do not serve him. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. That was also uh, the 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 legend of the chatting up uh, or not name the people involved, right? But chatting up a, a couple of young ladies and uh, trying to kind of I think it was a Friday night and trying to say, oh, you know what you're up to, you know what you're up to the morning, you kind of meet us for a drink and that. I'm like, oh, oh, how are you going to contact us? I'm like, oh, have you got Bebo? <laughs> <laughs> He's like Bebo. I'm not twelve. I've got Facebook. We we're like, what's Facebook? I don't know what Facebook was. Super smooth. So, uh, aye, I'm not 12. I've got Facebook. I, mean, like, oh, I don't know what Facebook is. So they disappeared into the night and and that was it. Or so I heard. Anyway, that's the way the legend story goes. But uh, there's been a few, uh, there's been a few classics. New, again, just Newcastle. Again, the the weekend that Ian McClellan came with us and we didn't see him. Remember that's the, right, the yeah. Saturday afternoon? He disappeared. To go and uh, watch Susan Boyle in concert. <laughs> he came a weekend away with the lads, and he's he's got he's basically just used it as a smoke screen to go and see went himself to see Susan Boyle in concert Saturday afternoon. Unbelievable! Absolutely, uh, but he, he probably, probably didn't he tell us he was probably the support act. He's probably not even dealt that. He probably he was probably up and stay, try to upstage her. That was, that was also. Do you remember, you know, we always tried to kind of tie it in with a game. Aye. And I think the first time we went, we got tickets and stuff, and we did it not get moved to like a Monday night or something like that? Aye, TV, that's right. Maybe when, maybe not the first time we went, but by the time we, when the fixtures were released, they were at home. That's why we picked that weekend and they get moved to the Monday night. But the, the I think that the last time we went, Newcastle were playing Liverpool at home on a Sunday afternoon. And I, again, just remember it, I can't even. I remember Newcastle winning. I think it was Andy Carroll's first game back at St James's Park mm. um, after they they stole thirty five million to sign Andy Carroll. Because I remember they were singing, the Newcastle fans were singing, "Thank you very much for the thirty five million." And then also to add a bit of spice to it, Jose Enrique was playing for Liverpool. Remember the left back, Aye. and he left Newcastle. Um, saying that oh, he wanted to go and play challenge for European places and all that kind of stuff. And ironically, at the time of the game, Newcastle were in the top four and Liverpool were about ninth or something. So he was getting a bit of stick for that. And then lastly, the last kind of memory I've got of that game is that, again, it was maybe the 84th, 85th minute or something. Reina gets sent off. Aye, uh, that's right. And they used all their subs. And uh, Jose and Ricky went in goal. Because uh, that was right in front of us. We were then, I forget uh, the we were, just, we were behind that goal. Yeah. I just put it on, on the corner. I, I was yeah. higher up because I, I got a tick, my ticket later than the group. So I was sitting, yeah. I wasn't sitting with the group. Uh, so I was I was maybe like a tier above and I was looking down. It's just you just see the madness that was going on. But I that's right, Pepper and I getting absolute pelters. That was uh that was that was another good so you think about the three incidents happening in that game, Randy Carroll, Jose and VK getting abused and then Vienna getting sent off and then Vicky going and go superb. I think that was maybe the last time we were there, actually. Um, but no, again, good times. Even the, the we're checking into the hotel in Dublin and Dunk's trying to get us all, you know, boys, calm down, relax, we're trying to check in and all that. And it's folk like 
doing wrestling moves and reception and all that, and suplexes and power slams. Folk are going through tables and Dunk's standing looking at us going, what is going on here? But Dublin was a good one as well, wasn't it? Just sorry, back to the, the Damien Duff story, but remember the island we were playing Scotland at rugby on the Saturday as well? We were in a, in a boozer and they were playing at Murrayfield. Um, again, that was a buff for the old, uh, the old Hagrid and our mom, remember? Vicky Pollard. Oh, aye, aye. Um, Quite a few Guinnesses on the Oh, man. But again, just like, we were quite rowdy and kind of took over a pub, but again, we were good value with it. You know, we were only troublemakers, we made a few quid off us, but they were happy for us to be there. And um, we were doing you know, ourselves, surely we were losing, we were singing like we're shite, we know we are, doing ourselves, and we were cheering every time, every time. I just made just making hundreds of noise. Aye, brilliant. Aye, really, really good. The only, the, the trip, um, the only one I missed was the Bournemouth one, um, which again, for, for maybe reasons, you know, in case that comes back up in court again, you may be not allowed to comment on, you know, but I think that was the only one. Keeps doing that one. That was the only one, uh, the only one I missed. And then again, the, the one we doubled as my stag do, we went to Liverpool, which of course that, that you organised, was brilliant. And we went to Everton Cardiff on a Saturday afternoon and, um, and Liverpool was brilliant as well. Just there's been there's been so many, and as I say, that the off field memories, although the on field ones have been brilliant, the off field ones probably outweigh um, the ones on the pitch. Just for the just whenever you're together, you know that it comes up and comes up in conversation, and it's we're probably getting to that age and stage where lots of stories start with "Do you remember when?" But they're the best ones, man. They're the best ones, and you don't you probably don't realise it at the time, but you're you're kind of creating your own kind of bit of history and your own talking points, and then chat about. You know, follow down the follow down the line. Uh, could you imagine if social media, uh, what it is like uh, now, was well, back then? It social be, media blackout careers, was always a shout. Uh, uh, careers, careers would have been ended. <laughs> Do you know one that I hadn't even planned to talk about, but it just came to my mind um, was Manchester. And and Dunks hired, not hired, but he's got a hold of like, it's a police bus. It's not plastered with police in the side, right? But like a kind of uh, a kind of blue police bus and we've then got to we're struggling to find the apartments and we've stopped at lights in the middle of Manchester and everybody started swaying the bus and Dunk's going off his head and he's shooting he's like lad's going to try to find the place and all that and then we woke up in the Saturday morning and the bus a police bus had a parking ticket because we basically <laughs> just dumped it <laughs> I was in a police bus getting a parking ticket, right? Dunk was like, but he was that hungover. I don't think he really cared, to be honest. Um, so Manchester was brilliant as well. But again, my favourite memory of Manchester is is coming home on a Sunday, and we stopped um, at the services at Gretna on the way home, and I'm sitting at the back of the bus. So of course, there's there's what maybe about 15, 16 is whatever there is, and everybody stopped services. Everybody's got a bottle of juice. Everybody's got a packet of crisps, sweets a lot everyone's got just munchies right so you can imagine it's probably about somewhere in the region of about 50 bits of munchie right and do you remember that 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 bag that Dunk had he took on weekends where that kind of looked like a joiner's bag as if he's going to like he's there to fix or like a plumber's bag he's there to fix sinks and all that I've stuff I've got it I've got it in my back room he left it like two three summers ago no when it would have been the World Cup it was on I know the exact oh, one man. It's so almost that, like a bag-based bag, bag. He's got that bag. So if you can imagine the back kind of three seats, if you like, are taken up by 
the bags, everybody's bags are all sitting there, but I'm sitting in the kind of next back seat. So I start to tell lads, like, see when you're finished with your rubbish, fire it up here. And I just put it all in Dunk's bag. Like every single bit, sweeter apples, chocolate juice, right? But <laughs> he's, he's dropped everybody off, right? And again, what I did when I somebody like, handed up a bottle of iron brew and the lid was there on it correctly, so I've put it in and there's still juice in it, right? So he's then got to, it's him, Mr. T and and young David up at the end to drop the to drop the the, the bus off, right? And David T <laughs> says, Dunks went up with his bag and all this rubbish was just pulled out. And he says, Dunks going, he's doing laps of this car park, going absolutely mental. <laughs> he's like, he's like, see Dougal, I'm gonna kill him. So I, I, I know I've threatened it before, but I'm genuinely gonna kill him. He's like, I think he left me a voicemail, but basically threatening me. <laughs> <laughs> and all his stuff was all like soaked in iron brew and all that and this, this joiner's bag and it was just David T says it's one of them standing there like trying not to laugh but <laughs> Doug's going mental so I enjoyed uh, enjoyed winding the big man up it was just another another occasion but I just the stories are class mate you were big Doug's kryptonite do you know what I mean no matter what happened it was just it just you got to him it was brilliant to watch it was brilliant to watch when he went but but do you know he's still a bit like from back from being a wee guy in in the BB. You know that he could, but he, he could then he could stare you, give you that look that just made Why? you think, ah oh, shit, I've maybe pushed that a wee bit far last time. Um, and and he would just give you that that stare. And again, just being a big guy, he always commanded that respect through his, obviously the way he held himself and the guy he was or is. But I think just his height and his build and stuff would always kind of give him that that extra that extra edge. Probably, but I, I, I just had this unique ability just to keep prodding him and just you know get him just over the edge. And again, probably the best one, Newcastle platform one. You know when I can't even remember what it was I said, but I'm just winding him up, right? Just and he's just snapped. And uh, if you want to see the Chronicle take on it, check out the Chronicle video. Right? He's just snapped, and he's chasing. Like, we're all standing as a group, congregated, and the train's still there, but we're all standing as a group in a, like, a big circle. And he's chasing me, kind of round and round. And you know, like when you when you've got the case and you can press the handle, and the handle pulls up. Right, right. I don't even know who's. I've walked run by a case, and there's a handle, and I've just flicked the case like behind my back, and he's not seen it, right? And you just hear this thud, like, ba-boom, right? And the big man's doing like an absolute sack of spuds and he's lying sprawled. <laughs> sprawled in platform one. The, the, the boys are just in absolute fits of laughter and the smoke, like, on the train, are glued to the windows. Like, and he gets up and he's ripped. He's got a big hole in his jeans at the knee and his knees all cut. <laughs> Wait, I was watching and it happened. It was like oh, a slow man. motion. You could see him get, getting into him about his jeans and all that, and just oh, just and then him and um, Bryzo tells a good story actually. But later on, when Mister T, I think I'm sure it was the same trip. Mister T is trying to put his ticket in the barrier without realizing the barrier is actually up. Doesn't need his ticket. Just walk through, wondering why it's not working. And then so then watching Mister T and Dunk like walking. You know when you come out the come out the hotel. Uh, sorry, come out the, the station. You, you kind of walk, there's a kind of bit out the right hand side, you can start to walk uphill. Aye. So Duncan and Mr. T are walking like two miles and they're dragging their cases behind them, like steaming. Dunk's limping because his knee's giving him jip because he's fell. Oh, 
just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But you know what? See, see, to be fair to the two of them, right? When we're on weekends away, they gave as good as they got, didn't they? They were like they were never first up the road. They only you didn't think oh, there's the old guys and all that. And you know, they were they were right into it, weren't they? And there was no kind of no messing about. They were they were you know going drink for drink and round for round and Oh, they loved it. I mean Morgan's Morgan's done a ton that oh. every weekend. I've never seen so much Morgan's hand in one sitting. Brilliant. Right then. No, they just totally embraced it. And as you say, we're on the receiving end uh, of a few pranks here and there. But that all, that all said, that was obviously nights out or, or weekends away, which were brilliant. But we had a couple of uh, absolute belting social events in that first season, which really, really, again, helped bring everyone together. We had the trip to yeah. Newcastle we talked about. And then we had, off the back of that, we had more trips and more nights out, which you were heavily involved with in. Any, any memories of any of the, the nights, uh, the, the Masonic call at the back end, Shinnon obviously started us off and we, yeah. we, we grew and grew with each event. What, again, I think quite helped with the social situation is that everybody was at the kind of same age and stage. If you like, you know, there wasn't many guys who had kids and stuff. And, you know, but what, what was quite good is, is that you, you maybe say to like, you know, to your missus or whatever, like, oh, you know, the, the boys for the team are getting together and sometimes they may be like, oh, no, I don't really. And, you know, is he going to be there? Is he going to be there? Whereas it almost became like a big kind of, I don't want to use the cheesy term family, right? But everybody just came and everybody got on and it just created this really great atmosphere and, again, just fun people, you know, to, to be around. Um, but what, what again, has probably impressed me the most about the, the club over the years is how it's, how it's developed and how it's kind of, you know, flourished. And, you know, in the beginning, you know, I think the year before we were there, you know, the kind of play of the year night was basically, you know, whoever could make it got together in a pub. There was a couple of wee shitty medals handed out, play of the year, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right, let's go and get, you know, on the sauce. Whereas that kind of developed over the years, you know, into things like, you know, we then decided to have, you know, we did a race night for a few years. And then we kind of changed up, right? Thought, right, how do we get better? We then changed that to uh, what did after the race night? What did that go to? We then got a meal one, didn't we? We, we got a caterer in after that. Yeah. Um, we then got uh, what, what did we do after that? It was a caterer, it was race night caterer. It always just seemed to kind of de- develop into something, you know, rather than just you know a DJ and a disco, you know, dunk talking for twenty minutes about some awards and stuff, and you know away you go. Um, so we, we really kind of developed that and, and as it kind of changed within even like the, the although it was maybe it was into the kind of Renfrew era which again we'll, we'll talk about we go to the casino you know that night that we had at Alia Casino it was a bit of a gamble that night wasn't it it was mate it was, it was risky but it was worth it in the end we had um, we had 140 odd people with that that night and that was more Brilliant. than what, what the, the league had at their dinner which was on the same night at Hamden you know, so that was, you know, big expense, but you know, massive success. And again, just just made people, you know, right. Or oh, what he's up to next? What he's doing now? I want to be part of this. So it became much more than you know, eleven guys, sixteen guys on a Saturday, a squad of twenty, whatever it was. You know, everybody was bringing, you know, families. Everybody was bringing partners. You know, some some guys were like, you know, how many tickets you need for presentation? Of, oh, I've not got that many this year. Oh, how many have you got? I've only sold 12. And you're like, what, 12? That's brilliant. That's like two tables worth. Fantastic. 
And people came and, you know, kind of seen, bought into what we were doing and recognised that and thought, you know what, these are good guys. I want to be part of this. Um, and and again, without meaning to sound cheesy or whatever, that, that's kind of how, um, I don't think, I I'm, 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 don't want to embarrass the guy or whatever, but I think probably one of the most kind of popular kind of teammates we've got is, is Hector. And that's kind of how he came about. I worked with his dad. I worked with Doink. And kind of, you know, it was all that interest in football. I'd talk about the team and he'd say, oh, I'll come and watch whatever. I'll come along and I'll, you know, see what it's about and stuff. I said, that, that'd be brilliant. So this Saturday comes and he comes to watch a couple of games and people start to get to know him. And he's then basically said to, to Hector, whose first name's Alan, believe it or not. I don't know if a lot of people know that. He says to Alan, look, Ross for the work. And I, I, I knew Alan through David, but not anything like I would get to know him. Aye. And I said to him, look, you know, come down and play with these guys. They're brilliant. They're a good team. They're, they're really good boys. Come along. And I remember with a social camera, remember what it was one night in a cricket club, and Doink was there. And then he got up on somebody's shoulders, and people are like, who is this old guy that looks like Gorm? He's absolutely off his rocker. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's Hector's dad. He's going to, you know, he's, well, it wasn't even Hector at that time. It wasn't even called Hector then, but he's going to come along. And sure enough, Hector came. He brought his wee sister, we Josh, Hollyoaks, Gav. <laughs> and you know, and then another classic example of them when Jim Wilson joined us, Jim, Hector, and Gavin Doink would travel to the games together. And now, even now that their families have all grown and developed, they're all like, like closest friends and stuff. The wives right. are pals. So there's a, probably a great example of how the 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 club has has been used in that way to develop, you know, relationships for guys who otherwise wouldn't have known each other. Definitely. Um, you know, so that that's that's something that you know, if you if you wanted to coin a phrase, that whole more than a club thing, and that's probably kind of underpins that that whole thing, and that that should for all the, the memories and the, the the cup finals and the cup wins and league wins and all that stuff. Sometimes stuff like that's just as just as important, and I think that's what we're kind of continuing to kind of to kind of foster. You know, no, definitely we had, we had some blinding nights. Did you see the cricket club? We had quiz nights. We had the uh, famous dead people. Night, um, we had a hypnotist one night. The the hypnotist was a oh what a shocker a story that was. So, I I arranged that with a guy who I'd seen um, in a pub in Gran Canaria, right? Took his details by thinking, Do you know what the boys would love us. This. this would be this would go down really well, and contacted him, arranged a date, but. Again, I didn't even, you know what, usual me, right? Just go feet first. Don't even do it, then ask questions. And I didn't even think that, again, given the background of the team at the time, um, there was a couple of mumblings that weren't very happy about, you know, kind of be seen to be making money off that kind of type of thing. Yeah. So we had a kind of sit down and a, a kind of meeting about it one night. I remember it was in Dunk's house and I was last to get there. I don't know if you remember Dunk's living room, that single seat that sat in the corner. And I sat there and, you know, and I felt as if I was being interviewed. I felt like totally, like, well, why have you done this? You know, what's it going to be? You know, what's it going to be? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, I genuinely didn't think this would be a huge issue. I'm just trying, you know, give something different, make a few quid for the club, you know, and, and away we go. Um, and then sure enough, we went ahead with it. And I think Woody was the star of the show that night, wasn't he? He was... Eating onions, thinking about apples, and he normally get his clothes off any night out. But the hypnotist was just another an excuse for that. No, they really needed one, but 
So, and, and do you know what? The, the, the credit club loved this as well. They loved having us because they knew, do you know what? There was one night, like, we, we put about two grand over the bar. Incredible. Like, do you know what? You know, try and try and get you guys at least once a year because you know what? You're a good crowd. You're good fun. We know what we're going to get. We're going to make a few, and everybody won out it, you know? So, that uh, was a really good kind of relationship and partnership and stuff we got. Um, but I think we can eventually kind of move to the Masonic as a base. One, because it was in Shannon. The team kind of navigated that way. And also you could then fit, you know, it was more comfortable in terms of the space and stuff as well. Whereas the credit club are cutting out from like, you're trying to find tables for places, but the bowling clubs across, I remember going across to the bowling club one night to try and get more tables and chairs just to fit more people in. Mercy chairs? Aye, that was it. Aye, folk at different heights and all that, you know. But um, I, as I say, great. Everything we're talking about is, is great memories. You know? And um, what about some of the, the raffle prizes? We had a, a few belters. Oh, um, man. Do you remember? Do you remember the night at the at the credit club where there's a raffle? And it's so you you know you get the boys you know say like can you can you you know can you bring anything? Can you donate something or whatever a bottle or whatever? And um, our, our good friend Michael uh, <laughs> was obviously involved in the car business at the time. Unbelievably, donated a car as a raffle prize, right? And. <laughs> I think this thing's actually still sitting. It was parked in the car park of the REH to keep it safe. I think it's probably still sitting there. <laughs> so I, I remember, hope no, I can see the parking parking fees. Oh, a few quid, no, but a few quid. So basically, like, can a word get round that we're trying to try to fix it in a way that 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 young Andrew Duncan's boy would win the car, and he's and Karen kind of got wind of this, and she was like, she's like, I'm not having that. I'm not a kind of. I'm, we're not having a car because we've not got space in the driveway, you know. <laughs> but you know, you're thinking about how many clubs, if any, have ever had a car as a raffle, and it was genuine. The car was sitting outside. There was no Michael donated a car. Like that's unbelievable for an amateur football team to have a car as a raffle prize. Brilliant. Super. <laughs> who, who was the winner again? Did you say that? Pal, Pal won it. Uh, Pal won it. Aye. Oh, that, that leads nicely on to, uh, to Pato. Obviously, I don't know how many of the boys know how much of a t- all-round talented sportsman he is, not just a footballer, but also uh, a bit of the lawn balls. He was. Just just on Pato, right? I think that sometimes he, for what he did for the team before, obviously Duncan Mr T took over from Pato, and I think he kind of laid a lot of foundations and stuff that sometimes goes a wee bit kind of unnoticed or forgotten about. More nights out than training appearances. But do you know what? Actually, I thought he was, I actually thought Pat was a decent player. See it on the ball and stuff, but he, he was actually a decent player. He had a dodgy knee, but he was a, I thought he was a decent player. Um, so I say, I don't think it's any secret that, that Pat enjoyed a, a Don Revy. And he's uh, he's moved. Uh, do you know what? You might need to get him to confirm the particular details of this, right? But how I remember it is, is that he's moved flat. And to, do you know, I can't remember the name of the bowling club but overlooked just off Stock Street in Paisley. Yeah. I was going to say Blackburn Mill, but that's not, that's the one at the top of the hill. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, Pat was moved there in the flat, overlooks the bowling club. And Pat will be pretty sharp. Thinks, do you know what? I'm going to join this bowling club mainly because it's like 75 pence for a vodka. Right? So Pat was in having a few drinks one night and they've got a match at an inter. 
you know, an inter-club match with a player in our club and a player shot and they're like, to Pato, Ian, will, you know, we we'll need a player where you come play. And Pato's like, well, I've had a few, you know, scripts and whatever, but it doesn't matter. I've had a few scripts come and play. So Pato gets, you know, right into it and he then gets a full-blown playing membership for this bowling club. And then at the end of his first season, he's voted Young Player of the Year, aged <laughs> about 38. <laughs> right. And then, like, and this is gospel, right? He then competes in an event that if he finished in the top, I don't know if it was the top eight or something like that, he would have played for Scotland in the, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow 2014. If he finished in the top, whatever it was, and he just missed out, he wasn't far away from it. Brilliant. And you think, like, how, like, uh, what a story that would have been. And An athlete, a true, a true athlete. Took up, took up balling 10 minutes ago, do you know what I mean? But I only because he only because he loved, it, you know, the price of the vodka. But uh, I just, Pat was, Pat was one of the guys that, as I say, often gets, gets kind of overlooked and forgotten about, but, but genuinely one of the, you know, one of the, one of the greats, you know. Sensational, and that that was obviously a lot of the, the ICC days um, and the, your playing days as well. And then it kind of all came to a sort of a crossroads, is the right phrase if you want to say. But there was some dis- discussions about what the future was going to be and, and moving forward. And and then you you got involved. Um, I had a couple of conversations. Well, do, do you know Renfrew? crossroads is, prob- is probably the best way that that. I could put it so back to the beginning we were talking about how it was great with all these lads that were all this kind of same age and stage in life and that was a real strength for us but it probably became I don't want to use the word weakness right but we didn't if you think about it over the years we didn't really add or lose too many players along the way really um, so everybody kind of got to that stage in life at the, the same time and, and Saturday morning football as the older we got became less and less important you know if there was maybe a shift going at work for example before you'd maybe be, you know, trying your absolute hardest to get somebody to swap for you. Yeah. Or you'd maybe, you know, it'd be like kind of an agreement with the missus say, oh, I'm going to football in the morning, but we'll do X, Y, Z in the afternoon. You know, all, all these things that, you know, that, that that life kind of, you know, presents when you're trying to be a part of a club. Um, and the, the kind of whole kind of move to the everything was, was born out of an initial frustration in my part and that we were really struggling to, to get facilities on a Saturday morning and I think we were, we were spoiled before because remember in the beginning we we could book KG5 for a home game like no bother at all we had a really good relationship with a guy um, Tommy was it Tommy the groundsman? Yeah Tom? Tam? Or Tam yeah um, who and we even had the kind of audacity and the cheek to suggest that the pitch we put on was like our pitch because we always got there you know he put the nets up for us it was always you know it was always in good condition and I don't really remember losing too many games there to be honest it became a bit of a kind of don't use the word fortress right but it became a really good you know a really good place for us and when the, when the kind of booking system kind of changed it became a wee bit frustrating to try and get facilities so we were we were no longer classed in, as the, the kind of Ersk, being an Shinnan team. We were classed as in the Erskine hub as opposed to the Renfrew hub, if I remember rightly. Yeah. So we were then kind of scrambling about for a facility, and again, it didn't help that we we got our fixtures. You know, rather than getting you know you know like for example when the SPL fixtures are released, you know who's playing where and when. You know well in advance, 
it's, it's basically mapped out for the season until the split, of course. Um, whereas we didn't have that, we were getting a fixture on a Sunday night Mother. for the following Saturday. You know, so you're then going on on a Monday morning trying to book a pitch. Whereas a lot of teams, particularly kids' teams, with clashing on Saturday mornings had already booked, so we were kind of just getting what was left. And we kind of lost that kind of home ground kind of type identity. We didn't really, you know, we didn't really have it as such as a kind of. Um, so I remember um, contacting Ventura as a club. Now, when I worked at, um, at, at Joma, our, our total teammate at the time, Ventura was one of the clubs that we supplied kit to. So I kind of used that relationship as a way in of saying, look, I appreciate that you're moving from from um, from Western Park. You know, there's a new kind of ground being built. You know, what's the what's the chances of you know a let being available for training during the week, and then you know we'll, we'll play there on Saturday mornings. You know, what's the um, and this was Ian Wilson, who I know you know, great guy, um, who's who's done a lot for 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 Cherry Boys Club initially, and then when they, when they kind of moved to them through. So I spoke to Ian and I said, you know, just kind of outlined that to him. And he immediately said to me, you know, without thinking, he says, you know, would you be interested in moving to the club and becoming, you know, the amateur section of our club? And I, I, that genuinely wasn't my intention, but I thought, you know what, that sounds like a really good, you know, opportunity. You know, we've then got this ready-made facility. I'd seen the plans and stuff. I kind of knew about it. And I kind of get the heads up about it before anybody else did. I thought, this would be good. So I spoke to Dunk about it, kind of on the on the QT, and I said, you know, this is what's happening. You know, what do you think? So I then kind of before even the stage of kind of mentioning it to the boys and stuff, I then went met with the Renfrew committee, which of course I knew a lot of them anyway from kind of over the years, but then obviously being, you know, kind of kit supplier and stuff as well, and just laid our cards on the table and I said, look, you know, well, this is what we're doing. We're a great bunch. We're trying to get back into the kind of Renfrew area, if you like to be part of the Renfrew Hub so we can get a regular pitch at KG5, training let, all that kind of type of stuff. So we were kind of formally accepted into the club as the kind of amateur section of that. I've glossed over a lot of it. It's a much more kind of complicated than that, but essentially that's kind of how it came about. Um, and then when we when it came to it, they're kind of like, you know, are you, you, I know you're called ICC, you're going to change your name. And I'm kind of going... I, I don't I don't really know how that will you know how that will sit. I don't envision how that will go. You know, there's a lot of kind of nostalgia around the kind of ICC name. It's been that for a long time. You know, guys have affiliation with it. But my take on it was, you know, it, it didn't really matter to me the name of the team. A bit naively, said so I'm more concerned about who I'm playing football with. And I just want these guys to have somewhere to play and for yep. us to be able to stay together. And to have you know this you know this really good you know facility. So then from from kind of moving on from that to to speaking to the kind of boys as a whole, and and I kind of remember there being a bit of um, not objection to it, but there was a couple of questions. The majority of the lads weren't really overly concerned, and were mainly of the same opinion of me, in that it doesn't really matter. What our name is, as long as we're together. So we then decided to to kind of go for it, and it, Big Davy was probably the only one who really had. I don't want to say real reservations, but he probably made the most noise about it. And um, so we then, you know, became Renfrew. 
managed to secure the juniors, which again was a you know a, a great facility. And the kind of general idea was that we provide that pathway. So guys who got to twenty ones at Renfrew, who maybe weren't quite good enough already for the juniors, had you know it could come to us as an amateur side until they were ready. At the same time, it wouldn't really work out that way. But guys who maybe didn't want to play juniors anymore had an amateur team to go to to keep them involved in the club. So that was the kind of theory behind it. And although for the first season we kind of kept the majority of the team that had been ICC moving to Renfrew together. I think looking back on it now, it probably wasn't the same. I, I, we kind of lost their identity a wee bit. And if, if there is a regret with that move, that's maybe it. But at the time, I, I suppose personally, I didn't really see a, a, a way out of it. If you like, that was probably the best option that I, that I seen for us. Um, and then that kind of, in turn, um, Duncan then kind of used that avenue as, as his way of bowing out. Um, and then I kind of thought, you know what, I've went to, to, to this club who, are, who I've got a personal and professional relationship with. I now can't tell them that we're now managerless and we're now, so I tried my hardest to get a manager in. Spoke to a few guys who I knew and had contacts and stuff with. It never really came anything, and that's kind of when I thought, right, you know what? I've always I've wanted to, to give it a bash, but maybe wasn't quite ready to do it in terms of like not playing and stuff. So that's when you know myself and, and Brian kind of took over, yeah. and also with the help of you know yourself and and with Scotty, and and it worked really well. I thought it worked it worked great. Um, but I think there was still, even at that stage, I think Davy still had it in his mind of kind of the, the ICC brand had to kind of appear and come back in some way. And ultimately that's kind of where we are now. Because even I remember at the time when, when Davy was talking about it, I said, look, Renfrew had a 35s team, but you didn't really have the numbers. You know, there's a there's a space there to become Renfrew. And again, Davy was kind of not, I don't want to use the word precious, but was was more fond of bringing back ICC as opposed to then still being under that kind of Enfrew umbrella, which I yep. which I totally get, totally get. Um, so, so that's kind of a kind of bit of background, and I appreciate the chance to kind of talk about because not many people know the kind of full kind of story behind it or know kind of bits and pieces. But it it certainly was done with the with the kind of best of intentions and still to give guys you know that kind of Saturday morning um, option, if you like. Um, and I think again the numbers kind of dwindled again. The second year, there's a few who decided that Saturday mornings was the for for them anymore. We managed to get you know a few kind of external players and stuff. Um, and then by the kind of third year, when it, it didn't end well that season, you know, it ended in kind of relegation. Um, that's when we then went to to Renfrew Town, the other kind of amateur team, Saturday morning team associated with the, with the club, and kind of amalgamated the two. Um, and that's kind of how it how it, so it can kind of continues to to this day. So um, it would have been don't get me wrong if we could have been in Sharon based and kept it going that way, but I just didn't think there was a, a kind of longer term future for it. And it probably worked out that it came to a natural end probably three years later anyway. But it was maybe three years that we would have got that that we wouldn't have got if we hadn't made that made that move. No, definitely, and you in, in that time as well. The thirty fives um, began. You were still playing 
between both because you were able to be registered with with different leagues on different days. So you were playing maybe the maybe initially on a Saturday, but were were also available on a Friday as well. So you were you were balancing the two. Yeah, so it actually worked out quite well in that I think throughout the season there was only one there was only once where I played Friday night and Saturday. I think because the game, the cup game that we lost eventually against Easter Craigs, and we drew three each and then lost in penalties. Yeah. I, I can't remember who missed the penalties, to be honest with you. But anyway, we'll. No, no, you might know what I talk about. That. I will move on for that. Um, and then played in the Scottish Cup in Dundee the following day for Renfrew. Um, but I was I was in goal, so I didn't even have to move or anything like that much. So it was, it was, it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. I managed to get away with it the rest of the time. Um, but always kind of wanted to do both, and I, and I said that to Davy. I said I'll, I'll be I'll be available, um, even despite being. In, but you know what it's like. You, you can you know we roll in subs and stuff like that. It, it's you know very rarely would you play a full game anyway, um, and could then still play Saturday. So no, we'd want to we'd want still doing that, still plan to do that, and we'd, we'd want to keep that keep that going. Oh, nice one, and um, and the thirty fives bringing the band back together, good. Good days, good feeling. Do you know it's whenever whenever we're together, whether it's in the changing room for a game or meeting up socially after it, you just get that you get that kind of special feeling and special bond with, with guys. And again, that's back to guys who you play foot with, but you also want to spend time with. You know, I'm sure we've all played football with guys over the years who've been maybe good players, but they're maybe not the kind of guys you'd want to kind of spend time with that you don't have to in the nicest possible way whereas I don't think there's ever been a player that we've had um, either Saturday morning um, or now 35s that, that you wouldn't want to be around or that you, you don't want to spend time with or share a pint with or whatever so I think we've been really fortunate in that way and, and you know kind of credit to credit to Davey um, doing his, his best Harry Redknapp impression you know with Peter Crouch and Nico Franchard and Jermaine Defoe you know it's uh, getting, as you say getting the band back together so it's it's been brilliant also the whole kind of pandemic thing and has they been great and I know that the first season didn't, didn't end well um, but do you know what it was still for a first season back together adding a few new bodies and kind of essentially from a standing start has been you know it's it's been brilliant and kind of long may it long may it continue and I think there's there's a real opportunity for, to, for some success you know the same way that when we all came together you know, all those years ago for, for Saturday morning stuff. You're, you're talking about, as you say, about 15, 16 years ago now. So it's maybe come down to that time again, you know? Oh, absolutely. And Jink, William McNaught will make an appearance. We hear a lot about this guy, but never never seen him. You know, William McNaught will, uh, will come sometime, but the, the legend of Willie lives on. And maybe not the best person to tell the William McNaught story, but I'll, he'll, uh, he'll appear at some stage, mate. Good stuff. Ross, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Top man, loved it. Appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been good fun. Um, hopefully, I've been a bit better than that sleeping tablet, Davy Weir, in the from episode one. But uh, you know, you know the saying goes: you get with Davy Weir and you put a hypno on your own drink. You know, so um, no, it's been great. I appreciate the the chance to come on and and have a and have a chin wag. Um, my biggest fear, I think, was was swearing. I don't think I've swore that much at all. So. Uh, happy days. Nice one, mate. Cheers. Catch you soon, pal. Cheers.
Thank you.